Hello, guys, and welcome to the premiere episode of Real Talk with Benno. It's awesome to have you along for the journey, and we have got an excellent guest to start out with. Episode one today features Jake Edwards. Jake, formerly of the Carlton Football Club, is now the CEO and founder of Outside the Locker Room, a mental health organization which tackles the stigma around mental health for young males in the sporting locker room, as well as females. Jake's work is surrounded off personal experience. He suffers with his own mental health issues, and in this podcast, he goes into great detail about his darkest moments and how he's come back for them, as well as the techniques he uses now to get through everyday life. We talk a bit about his footy career and how things could have changed so drastically, and we touch on everything in between, a bit of golf and a bit of music. So please, guys, sit back, enjoy, and thank you so much for being part of the first episode. Here with Jake Edwards, formerly of the Carlton Football Club, and probably more notably now from outside the locker room. How are you going, mate? Good, thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks for having us. Nah, thanks for coming on, mate. As we spoke about before, it's probably a bigger deal for me than it is you, um, especially as a Carlton fan. Oh, jeez, um, you have to be a tragic to know who I am, mate. Yeah, well, so I'll tell the story now. Normally, I start these off with a how do I know the person? You and me obviously don't know each other, mm. but um, yeah, I was a big you fan because as a fellow Jake... Yeah, of course. <laughs> 11 when you got drafted. Oh, and I was like, that's it. That is my guy. Like, yeah. I'm going to ride to the moon with this bike. Oh, I, I knew then, I said yes to this for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was big. I was playing the AFL 06. You were getting games every week. Next to Fed, I was like, that is... Yeah. Josh Kennedy came in. I was like, no room for you. Sorry, mate. Josh. you got to go. Uh, what about Murphy? You didn't get it nut? No, Murph, like, Murph was delivering. Murph was delivering it straight down. But forward pocket was all yours. Yeah, so man. that's pretty much our only connection to each other. And we've shared Etihad Stadium and the G a few times, but from distances, of course. <laughs> um, and since we started on the buggers, we'll get stuck in. Um, yep. You made your debut round 108. Oh, wait, was that's it? right. Yep, against Richmond. 80,000 at the G. I think that was yeah. the first season. I hope it was Juddy's first game. Yeah, it was Juddy's first game. What's, it was a big moment. What's that occasion like? Um, look, to be honest with you, mate, I, I don't really remember it too much um, it's such a blur it went so quickly but I guess I do remember one thing I do remember prominently is the crowd being so loud every time the goal was kicked uh, generally there was a Richmond end not the car <laughs> yeah. but uh, I remember the crowd just being so so big and so loud um, because two big clubs Victorian clubs so it's a big crowd yeah you you kicked an early goal in that did. one did you, do you want to take us into that moment if you can yeah, yeah that, that's one thing I don't forget uh, so Fev actually should have handballed to me to, you know, to start off with he tried to get greedy and kick, kick his goal but uh, he kind of went the uh, kick the goal he got smothered on the goal line and the ball kind of fell to the ground and I just happened to be the right place right time little soccer kick off the ground you know about half a foot out from the line and they all count as, uh, absolutely absolutely when the paper the next day doesn't say how you kick it <laughs> yeah, so, there's no asterisks no it was uh, one of those amazing moments so I dreamt of as a kid yeah kicking goals in the AFL do you, do you walk away kick one so early and you think oh this is one of 700 here yeah. it's all going to fall in now <laughs> yeah no it didn't quite work out that way did it unfortunately but uh, I was pretty stiff that night I kicked one goal three that night so I should have probably kicked a couple more yeah uh, as well sliding doors I guess with those things especially it, as a forward yeah um, spoke about Fev obviously yeah yep. probably could have helped you out there what, what was yeah. what was the great man like around uh, the club especially working with him so closely yeah Fev is a great man I've got a lot of time for Fev he, he's a big kid um, you know he I get asked a lot around who the best players that I've played alongside. Obviously, you know, Juddy and uh, played with Kudafidis as well. He was my first captain, but Fever being in our top three. Like, the guy was a freak. Yeah. Um, and, off the f- talent. and off the field, he, he was pretty good as well. So um, <laughs> we, we, we got along really well. Uh, and we still stay in contact today. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get Fev on me here. He's um he's old man babysitting my mum 
Okay, yeah. So mum still talks to Hank quite a bit. So yeah. if Ev does end up listening to this, you know, you're on you're on the list and we're coming. <laughs> yeah, we got big one there. Um, so yeah, you, you were on the, the list for four years. Yep. And you had Pags for the first two. Yep. And then Rats came through. That's what was, right. They're quite different hmm. characters. I mean, what was the big gap between them two, do you think? Well, I guess you had probably around that 2000 and... Because what happened was Peg and I had him for a year and three quarters and then he got the sack and then Rats was there at the, at the time. So he took over caretaker coach. Um, two very different coaches, as you said, mate. One's really old school, direct, in your face up front. Uh, and Rats was kind of, I guess, the, that new age coach. Um, the armor around. Yeah, well, yes and no. He, he was very um, footy, mate. Loved his footy. Everything was footy. You couldn't have a conversation with him without talking about your game or you know, how to be a better footballer. Yeah. Uh, so he was right into his football. I think if you were to speak to Rats now, um, he's a very different coach to what he is today than what he was yeah. back at Carlton. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's horses for courses when it comes to coaches. and They, they were two very different yeah. people. I mean, yeah, I think you could tell just from who we've seen in the public or let alone what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. They're spaces apart. Yeah, well, Rats was a four-line coach before um, Pagan kind of got the arse or whatever. And then, so I had a relationship with Rats already yeah. um, playing forward as well. So, yeah, we, 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 we had a, a decent enough relationship, yeah. Yeah, and so, oh, eight, you played five games pretty early on in the year. Yeah. Um, when you fell out of the side, what was, yeah. how, like, how Rats tell you about that because yeah. you didn't really get back in yeah it was tough man I think look I'm glad we got into this stuff not too many people guess I guess talk about this or know a lot about it so when Rats came in at the end of 2007 he actually said to me um, next week mate you're going to make your debut against Port Adelaide so this is the that was end. the game after Brisbane so this is after Brisbane so that's right yeah pretty much yeah um, so I was like okay he, he said guys mate just get through this week in the VFL we want to see where you're at in terms of your, you know, for the rest of the year, give you a taste of it, come back next year, 2008. I went out that week and dislocated my ankle playing <laughs> VFL. So there was, a, there was that part of it, that little kind of high, high, going to make me debut, and then, you know, that massive crash. Yeah. Uh, and then it led into the pre-season debut, 2008, and I was in and out of the team in the first probably 10 or so rounds. Um, and it was quite frustrating, to be honest with you, mate, because one thing I, I loved about Pagan was you knew where you stood with Pagan because uh, he was very direct yeah. and very he told you how it was with Rats it was quite loose you weren't really sure um, I didn't feel comfortable enough to approach him um, and it was just a bit of a frustrating relationship do you think that's like so if you debut in 07 obviously the club's in a different point yeah. than it was in 08 07 there's a, like it's full on rebuild mode yep. and then 08 Juddy comes in Rats is full time and the site's completely different add yeah. Cruiser give her another year do yep. you think Things could have panned out. Obviously, they could have panned out differently for a number of reasons. But oh, if you debut yeah. in 07 and maybe get 10 games, yeah. as opposed to you're into a side that realistically wants to play finals, yep, that's it. Getting that continuity games could have been different. I, I think so. I mean, I, I look back now and it, like, it's slow door moments, man. Like mm-hmm. at the end of my second year, I was offered a contract from Melbourne Footy Club for three years on, wow. on really good money. And you hadn't played a game? I hadn't played a game then. And, and I, I spoke to my family and my manager and I just had this whole thing about one club kind of yeah. mentality, so I ended up staying at Carlton. So I look back now and go, geez, if I had to go to Melbourne, you know, because oh Craig Cameron was, he was after me. Melbourne were going to pick me up with their first pick in 2005, but they picked up a guy named Nathan Jones, you might have heard yeah. of him, uh, <laughs> instead. Uh, and then their next pick was picked, I think, 38 or 40 or something in the draft. So um, Craig Cameron was big on me and he offered me that contract. And the same thing with what you just said then. I think if I had got more opportunity perhaps at that point, 
new coach comes in, kind of just seeing where the list is at. Uh, got a bit more of a run at it. Who, who knows what could have um, eventuated, but it is what it is, mate. And yeah, end of 2008, I, I had an injury, my knee. I had to get uh, some surgery done. And then um, I thought I'd go into my final year pretty well prepped. And it just didn't, yeah, just couldn't get back in the team. Yeah, I and 09 would have been a hard year because the Cybers, that's when it's really starting to make a team climb. Yeah, it was, you know. Well. They said, Judd, he's got a name, you know, Dick Pratt as well was our new president. Mm. And he came in with an open checkbook and literally overnight, mate, the club changed. Yeah. Uh, it, but it was good to be around. Like, the energy was good. You know, the playing group was a lot lot more kind of driven. Uh, we had better leaders around the club at the time. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll go on places. And that was annoying uh, because I felt like I'd, you know, belonged in the 22 but yeah you just had to stay on the park long enough so we, we've heard a few blokes mentioning like gibber came out a while ago and mentioned about you know what the club was like pretty gutty essentially and that yeah. did pretty era. what was what was a big change that you noticed in that yeah look, 07 to 08 i think it was probably oh oh six and oh seven for me what i'd seen was a culture at the footy club that was just happy with just playing games of football and being under the Carlton brand as such a historic club there wasn't a lot of kind of high expectations and they weren't probably driven to be met and then when Juddy came in I think there was this overwhelming kind of presence that he's a guy who's achieved so much and he, he just came in straight away and I think everyone wanted to be impress, impressive around him yeah. so automatically lift the standards of the club um, and mate, literally the first two years, the facilities in that were poor. Yeah. You know? And then when Praddy comes in, decks the whole place out. There's just new energy. Yeah. Uh, and there's new motivation. That came with the new you know, coach and new coaching staff. We all we had a new you know, uh, fitness guy, a new strength and conditioning guy. It's like the place changed overnight. Um, so I think a lot of blokes were motivated yeah, yeah. To, to get the most out of it. No, I think that's because you'd say, yeah, someone who followed it. I mean, yeah. it was six years of nothingness, and then it wasn't yeah. like we finished fifteenth. We finished like tenth the next year, and then yeah. we played finals. Well, we're, yeah. the the footy club at that time when I was drafted right up until that era was a, a club of misfits, really. Yeah. Like there's a lot of ex players, sorry, former club players, like the Jordan Bannisters of the world, and the late the Longmires, the Longmuir, sorry, and yeah, there's blokes who come from other clubs yeah. just to fill in the holes because of what happened. I think, you look, I'm watching, so at the minute, I'm watching some old games on YouTube, and I think I'm looking at the 04 season, and it's a season that 0203 was like 16th, 15th, then yeah. 04 went up to 11th because he's Scotland, Corey McGrath, yep. Bannister, oh, Digby Morrell, Teague. Yeah. It's unreal to see the amount of soccer players that came through the door, but then three years later, we're back out, yep. flushed out of the system. Yeah. And obviously, they came with yeah, the salary cap stuff and all about acquired players. Yeah. But I think it's an unbelievable number of players which wouldn't help stability. No, for sure. Um, so, yeah, end of 09, the dream gets cut short. Yep. I mean, you would have only been 21, 22 at that point. I mean, what's that? 21, it's yeah. gone. Yeah, it is gone. And it was, uh, yeah, again, it was one of those, those moments, you know, I look back now and I go, geez. At the time, I, I I think I handled myself pretty well considering. So Carl actually offered me a contract. Uh, I, I walked into the the out meeting uh, as you do every at the at the end of every year. Did you know it was coming. Well, I I, I kind of thought that yeah I was going to be realistic. So I didn't get um, an opportunity that year. But what what happened? David T changed my career, um, and that's why I'm. When so he, is that when he's coaching at the Bullets? He was coaching the Bullets. Yeah. So that year we turned things. We actually got to the grand final. Yeah, we got beaten. But was that by Port Melbourne who won? Uh, no, no, that was by North, North Ballarat. Ballarat. Yeah. So they went on to win three or yeah. four after that or whatever. But yeah, Tiggy, uh 
I was playing all right footy down forward. I was kicking plenty of goals and that, but I wasn't getting in the team. So Teague said, mate, put your centre back. You're going to play on the best forward every week. Um, and that's what probably changed my perception that year because I, I kind of checked out a little bit. Uh, yeah. And I was going through my battles anyway with the mental yeah. health stuff behind the scenes. And I, I just didn't have much motivation to do much. And Tiki changed that for me. So I actually played some really good footy the last probably six, seven weeks of that year where I think it changed the opinion of the coaches of me moving forward. Yeah. So I went in that meeting thinking I was going to get delisted, but they actually offered me another one-year extension on my contract. And I'm, but I made my mind up, mate. I was like, no, nah, I need to go somewhere else. Yeah. And I just stood up, shake Rats' hand, said, mate, thank you so much, but I just don't I don't think I can play here. And was that because because of the struggles you'd gone through? You just thought you needed a, yeah. a, just a refresh? Yeah, and... I did. Yeah, I, I thought a new environment for me, and this is what happened, mate. This is what happens to people with mental health. You think yeah. like a new you know, new relationship or a new job or whatever it is. The grass is great. Yeah, on the other side, it's going to get better. And it just obviously didn't work out that way. But um, yeah, I just thought I needed a fresh start, a new look at things. Was Um, there anything on the horizon? Like were Melbourne still in contact when you thought you were going to go? Yeah, so Craig, he unfortunately left by then. So I missed out on Melbourne, but I had interest from St Kilda, Frio uh, and the Bulldogs, as it turned out in the end. So I actually went to the Bulldogs because of my family attachment to the club. Um, And I thought, fucking what better club to go to mm. and I'll never forget mate that two months I was there I, I was trained as hard as I ever trained I had this new motivation new lease of life uh, felt like I was on top of all my my mental stuff and then yeah just got promised the world mate given that was yeah and that, that's just how and I that pretty much. did that disenfranchise you with the AFL system completely yeah, yeah completely I, I probably literally I'm 33 now I was you know Finish was twenty one. I probably only really let it go and forgave myself probably twelve months ago. I reckon. Yeah, yeah. So I hung on to it for a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of bitterness attached to it, and I, I just needed to move on because it just wasn't helping me at all. So. And have you had anything to do? Probably more with Carlton. Have you had anything to do with the footy club since leaving? No, no. And that's that's nothing against Carlton. Yeah. Uh, I I do think all clubs need to do a better engagement with their past players. Yeah. Um, and Carlton's one of those clubs. Um. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of us don't want to be that kind of ex-footballer hanging around yeah. the footy clubs either. But if they reached out to me, I'd, I'd, I'd love to um, get involved and be involved in some way. Especially with the work you do now, there's definitely a scope for yeah. it, you'd think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so back with the club. So when you did um, when you did finally realise you were having your struggles, firstly, what were the what were the things where you noticed, like, this, like I'm not right here? Mm-hmm. And how were the club when, when you eventually you went through the process of being diagnosed, diagnosed and, yeah. and then finding out, like, how did they go about Because obviously different times. Very, very different times. I, honestly, I, I don't even know outside of the doctor, but Dr. Ben Baresi at the time, if anyone else knew at the club, to be honest, because uh, I wasn't treated differently, which is a good thing, yeah. but I certainly wasn't... Um, spoken to by coaches or approached by anyone about it so what what I started noticing was essentially I lost a lot of excitement and joy for the one game that I loved playing yeah and then that rippled into kind of having these manic anxiety attacks where I'd be on the way to training I'd be on the side of the road and I'd be in tears because I literally could not drive the car because I was panicking yeah um and then, mate, I'd just be, yeah, emotional, rollercoaster, like angry one minute, sad the next, um, happy for a period of time. I was in a relationship and the poor girl I was with, I put her through absolute terror. Yeah. Um, and I just, emotionally, mate, I was just all over the joint, which I kept justifying as just, you know, young, growing up, playing footy. I was in and out of the team, so I thought maybe I'm just dealing with it, you know, yeah, emotionally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the anxiety kept getting 
more crippling, more crippling. Was it a, a fear of failure or just... Yeah, a bit of both. I think I had the family expectation as well. So I was the fifth yeah. player in my family to play AFL. So I had that kind of expectation to become a footballer. So I did feel that I had a certain level of expectation to live up to, which creates that failure yeah. kind of mentality. Like the fear that you're going to let the family down. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, but at the end of the day, there was no pressure from them to no. be a certain yeah. way. It was more my own undoing. Yeah. Me. Um, but yeah, it was just it got worse and worse, mate. Over that two thousand and seven year, and then leading into two thousand and eight, um, which is when I was diagnosed during that year with with depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you battled injuries the first couple of years in the system. Did yeah. that maybe play a part as well? So the trigger for me, so that that moment that really clicked into that. People ask me, you know, when did it? Did something happen or whatever? That I had a. Um, Basically, around the same time when I just said the story before making the debut against Port Adelaide, yeah. you know, I went out that week and dislocated my ankle. I think that for me was a catalyst of kind of the isolation of being in rehab because I was there by myself. It was like 10, 8, 10 weeks or whatever it is in the boot and stuff like that. I think that's what really clicked it for me. Yeah. Um, and then going through that process um, from there, yeah. So a bit of like, you're already, you're feeling a bit sorry for yourself and you've got no one there. Yep. It's just compounding being left alone with those thoughts. Yeah. And then also just feeling sorry for yourself, you yeah. know, because I, you know, I should have been playing me, playing AFL footy, playing my debut. It, it would have made the it. games hard to lock, wouldn't it? Because yeah. you're just thinking, oh, I should be, should be out there, should be playing. Um, and you literally can't, it's a really lonely, isolated experience rehab. You yeah. Know, you're the only one going through it. Um, not the boys in that are great, but it's it's hard, mate. It's yeah, yeah, you're hard, doing yeah. a different program. Yeah, I think like you hear some boys still say that it's hard. It's probably yeah. just one of those things that no matter how much work you put in there, yeah. rehab's always going to be a shit place to be. Yeah, like I, no I was be doing it. No, like I was swimming lap. I was doing like two k's in the pool every morning, <laughs> and I couldn't use my legs, you know. But so it's just <laughs> watching that black line. That's why I hate swimming now. Like, yeah, that black line haunts me. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> it takes me back to my trauma. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was that kind of period for me where it kind of kicked in, and then. I thought I'd get back to playing footy training, which I did. I thought it would go away and be fine, but it, it never did. It got it got worse and worse, if anything. Yeah. 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 And so obviously the career the career ends, and yeah. probably I guess in hindsight you landed here for the outside of the locker room, which yeah. has been a terrific um, idea. There's a, obviously a bit of space in the middle, which we'll touch on later. But yeah. through outside the locker room, I mean, do you want to take us through how? Yeah, how and why and what you know what the aim is for the people that don't know about it. Yeah, I'll talk about the charity itself, and then as you said, we'll come back and fill the yeah. reason as to why it started. Um, yeah, so I, it, look, it was six, six and a half years ago now that we, we started, uh, and what it was was just a concept where I thought that there's a need, should be a need, or there is a need for a program to go out to community sporting clubs and and share stories as I did of my own journey uh, with mental health and shared that with sporting clubs. And what I realised pretty early was just how you know, how, how common it is that a lot of young men, especially in rural areas across Victoria, as it wasn't then, uh, how how damaging it was. Yeah. Um, and the program just kind of grew off that. Uh, more and more clubs wanted to get involved. Um, the program concept, you know, grew and it changed. The, the, the delivery methods changed a lot now. But where we are today is that we're a um, mental health, health charity um, and we focus around um, education and welfare. So what that looks like is we run education sessions around mental health and drugs, alcohol. And, and it's inside like local footy clubs. It's all local footy clubs yeah. and schools as well. We yeah. go to schools. We go as young as 13 and up. Um, and yeah, mate, we work about 100, I think about 130 communities now across Australia that we're in. And nearly, I think we've worked with roughly nearly 350, 400 sporting clubs 
you know, right. around the country. So yeah. uh, we do education, but we also offer a platform of support so people can actually reach out. And we've got an app as part of our program uh, where we collect data and use that for research and support. Yeah. And people can actually talk to our welfare team through the app uh, yeah. and, and stuff. So it's filling that void, I guess, in community sport that um, as an AFL player, I had access to yeah. resources. But community sports didn't didn't have it, so that's that's the role we play today, mate. And yeah, but we're doing we're doing some good stuff, which is really yeah. Like, I think the stats. I'm not asking guys now, but I think we we support a one in six people at in that community play sport. Local yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I did a bit of where you guys came out to I think it was at Oakley Crushes. Oh yeah. And we had a couple of guys come out, and it was like for us. I mean, we were pretty happy go lucky, you know, yeah. get on the piss kind of club. Yeah, and we're trying to make the transition of being a bit more serious. Like we wanted to switch on playing in the VAFA, you kind of had to. Yep. And I remember like a few boys took yeah quite a bit out because it's just something our club hadn't touched base, and we were quite an old boys club. Right. Um, like our senior side was full of blokes ranging from twenty eight to thirty, and our yeah, like I was playing under nineteens at the time. Yeah. And yeah, we like we were set two separate clubs essentially, so it was a good one to um kind started. of bridge the gap a bit. Yeah, bring yeah. the older guys into the new. Yeah, that new age of talking about things like that. It, it, well, we see that a lot through that program now. So, um, and this is kind of indirectly the impact that we expected, but a lot of that has taken place at our club. So, you got the junior, senior, bringing them together. A lot yeah. of those age group differences, bringing them together, just through a program like ours. Yeah, helping the conversation of mental health take place. Yeah, I think when young blokes, seventeen to twenty-one, see older blokes talking about it at their club, who they respect, it becomes a lot easier for them then to go well. You know, here's this guy who's a plumber I respect and love. You know, he's doing tough. Oh, I don't feel so silly now I can talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So it's really important, yeah. I think it bridges that demographic that we mentioned before. I mean, yeah. then to now, guys my age and say, guys your age, yeah. it was dealt with so differently for yeah. when we, like when I was playing footy too. Oh, absolutely. I never heard the pressure, mate, when I was diagnosed. So it's the first yeah. time I initially have heard of what it is. Um, and even when I was given medication, I, I didn't even know what the medication was. So I just popped it every day and thought yeah. it would, take, would cure it like a... You know, cut on your arm, but yeah. it, just, it just wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah. and we'll, so we'll, we'll delve into that now. So you were, yep. you were given medication as a yep. prescription. I mean, and a lot of a lot of people are, and if you are by your doctor, obviously follow your doctor's advice. But yep. I mean, you said there like it didn't have that impact that you thought it would. Um, like how was that? Like, yeah, did you feel like oh, awesome, this is going to be the fix? And then yeah, I did. What? I did. It, pretty naively, I, I I put full trust in my doctor at the time and. Um, great man, still talk to him today, nothing against him, but I, I didn't ask any questions. I didn't ask what is it, yeah. you know, what is depression in terms of chemically, how does it work? All I heard from him is, mate, pop these pills every day and you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, I thought, great, get back to your footy career, things are going to be perfectly, you know, all right. And I didn't realise that, you know, some medication can take, you know, up to three months to take full effect, to give it time, be patient. Yeah. And being young and driven, I was like, oh, these pills aren't working, they're a lot of shit. You yeah. Know, stop using and three them. months a long time in a footy system as well. That's what, 12 rounds. That's it. That's half a season gone. And, and at the end of the day, it's my livelihood too. Yeah. So I need to be performing mentally, physically to get paid. So yeah. when it wasn't working, I was like, oh, this is just a lot of shit. You know, I'm just going to not take them. I took them every now and then. When I felt shit, I'd take them. When I felt good, I'd stop taking them. Um, so yeah, I wish I had have asked more questions. I encourage people all the time when you go and see a doctor, a GP, um, but if you're not happy, go get another, you know, off uh, another opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think we do hand out medication too quickly yeah. these days. Um, what I've learned over the journey, well, first and foremost, there are a lot of, there can be a lot of bad side effects to medication. Yeah. And one of them for me was weight gain. 
you know, and I'm an, I'm an athlete. I yeah. can't be putting on weight. So once I started putting on some weight, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop using them. Yeah. Yeah. And alternatively, should you have then just gone to the dock and said, hey, these ones aren't doing the correct to the full, let's switch it up. And yeah, which I, I didn't do. Yeah. Know? And I was, I was ignorant. I, I just, I thought, you know, no one, who cares? I, I was basically hard enough, you know, yeah. I told myself, stop being soft, get on with yeah, it. Yeah, Yeah. And then, um, and yeah, I just kept telling people I was fine and this is in my final year and I just, that's when I made the decision I need to go somewhere else because... Just, I can't be around this club anymore in this environment, yeah. so yeah. So once you, you get out the system, you're completely out of it. I mean, with like dealing with things, because yeah. obviously you wouldn't have had a big support network because you'd only just found out, and as you said, we, pretty, we probably weren't as a society taking it as seriously. Yeah. What was it like once you left the system and trying to cope with those feelings? Yeah, it was prob- it's the hardest thing I've had to deal with um, in my lifetime. It was that kind of, I, I lost that, I guess that value of who I am. Um, I didn't know, I, I talk about like a, a loss of identity basically, yeah. you know, being a footballer my whole life and then losing that overnight was pretty tough. Because mm. uh, I was told I was going to be drafted and then literally it didn't, just, my name didn't get called out and the next day that, that's done. That's by the dogs. Yeah, that's by the Bulldogs, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I was sitting in Clarence Street in South Melbourne here and I didn't even listen to the draft because I was told by my management and stuff I was going to be fine. Uh, Mum called me said, look, what happened? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you haven't been called out. I'm like, you're kidding. And that was it. So... Dealing with that was hard in itself, but did then they, come, did they ever tell you why? Or was that no? no I'm still waiting for the phone call today, <laughs> mate. So, but that's nothing against them. Like oh, I, I get the system. I know how yeah. it works. But at the time, like 21, like, angry man, like yeah. pissed off, full, full of rage. And the best way I handled it was just to go out, party, and drink, and carry on like an idiot. Yeah. Um, because I was suppressing a lot of those feelings and those emotions. Yeah. Because I didn't have those networks around me. Um, and at that point, I was still questioning or not this depression thing and what is it it's a lot of crap and, and, and so forth so um, yeah I dealt with it in a really poor way um, you know going out and partying and, and doing too much drinking how, how intense did the party and the drinking get yeah intense it got really intense and there's drug taking involved in there as well um, to a point where you know I, don't, I talk about this publicly it's fine but you know at one point I shot adrenaline shot in my leg to stay awake yeah to keep just keep partying, yeah, yeah. So it got to a point where it's pretty full on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, like, that's just pretty much to make sure you're not feeling anything really. No, I'm just it? being numb, just, mate. Yeah, because yeah. when I was partying and, and feeling that numbness and that, I, I, um, that was my addiction. Yeah. So it wasn't the alcohol or the drug taking at all. Um, it was more around the escapee. So you weren't chasing the high sense; you were chasing the numbness. Just, just yeah, man. I just didn't want to feel what I was feeling anymore. Yeah. You know, and you're drinking in that took that away how long, how long did, did you go through that process so there's a bit I talk about a four year cyclone after my career so that's so 21 to 25 basically yeah, yeah yeah. and one thing that kept me on the straight and narrow early was um, in when I was 23 I played at uh, Port Melbourne uh, I played in the premiership team there and Airsie was my coach and Airsie Gary Airsie wasn't my coach at that time I probably would have completely fallen off the radar. Did they um, know when you got there? Did you tell Ezzy about? Ezzy didn't know. He didn't know a lot. But one thing he did know is that uh, most Thursday nights after training, him and I would sit in the club rooms, and he just treat me like his son, and like yeah, he's a father figure to me. And yeah. he knew something was going was going on. I would just broken up with my girlfriend at the time during that year, and I was drinking quite heavily. And you know, he was just acting as more of a mentor and getting me through really that yeah. year. So um, there was no kind of support provided not because I didn't request it yeah um, but um, yeah he, that footy club was great for me like, they kept me kept me yeah. going really yeah 
That's awesome. That's awesome for me. I did an internship there. It's like 2016, I worked a bit with Barry yeah. Kidd and, yeah, yeah, and Gary, and they were they were awesome for for me. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's just a it's a bit of community club feel, Port yeah. Melbourne, because obviously they're isolated now and they're a standalone. Yep, and they've been quite successful doing that. Yeah, they've been great. Yeah, flags coming in the front and center. Yeah, how, how dark did things did things get? What was your what was your lowest point? Uh, the lowest point was the attempted suicide. Um, so I spent uh, four days partying, drinking. How old were you at this point? At uh, this point, I was 20, well, yeah, 20, 26, 26, yeah, nearly 27. Yeah. So coming off the back of all that party and stuff, um, yeah, man, it was heavy. Like, <laughs> I just went out and partied religiously hard for four days and didn't go to sleep. I come home and I, I was with, the, well, what kicked that off? I had a girlfriend again. <laughs> um, and then... Yeah, she walked out of my life because she realised how bad it was. And how, how long did you be over there at that point? Uh, her and I were on and off a bit for a couple of years, um, but she moved over from Adelaide to live with me here. Oh, okay. And when she was living there, I could hide it. Yeah. But when she was living with me, she got pretty saying it all. wind of it pretty quickly. Yeah. She lasted like three months, and then she um, she walked out one night, and that's why I just went out party pretty hard. Yeah. And just come home man, on a Monday morning, hey, and just thought, fuck, you know, this thing called life, I just suck at it. Like I'm yeah. literally. Stop talking to family, friends. Um, I was clearly intoxicated, extremely high. I wasn't thinking straight. Um, but I was really peaceful. I was really kind of like, yeah, this is this is about as like you were. It wasn't a hasty. I'm angry at the world. This is no. one that you sit back and you've gone. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've done my best. I'd almost come to terms with the fact that yeah, this was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So that for me was my complete rock bottom. You know, I, I. I I pushed friends away. I, I, I was struggling financially. I didn't have much going for me. Work was just bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was a tough period. And then obviously the attempt yeah. off the back of that. Um, and then yeah, man, spent time working with the right people and, and got my shit together. Yeah, yeah. That's thank God for that. When you um when you were going out, was it with the same group of mates or were you splitting your time so people didn't notice? Or? No, no, same group of mates. Uh, not mates anymore. Yeah. Obviously, but. Um, I see them around every now and then, uh, but yeah, certainly you are who you hang around. Yeah. Um, my group of mates. And the thing is, at the time, you know, you're not thinking about anything else no. in the moment. Like um, you don't, you don't know that you're you know, doing this self-destructive behaviour. Absolutely not. Even though people around me were trying to help, I wasn't ready. No. Yeah. I couldn't hear it. And um, some of my greatest memories and stories of times from that time being you know high and drunk yeah some of the shit I could tell you you wouldn't believe <laughs> um, but understandably it's not it's not right so no. um, yeah it, they it was generally the same group of people yeah, yeah. that I was hanging out with yeah, yeah. yeah. and when, when you when you kind of come to and you, you realise that there's, there's an issue did you yeah. sort of just distance yourself from them or did you tell them and say hey guys look this isn't no it was pretty easy to distance myself I didn't I didn't sit them down and tell them why or how. And mm. They they had got wind of what had taken place, and yeah. um, there was no pressure from them or anything like that at all. At all, um, so it's pretty easy, mate, for me to, to remove myself. I, I didn't know what a Sunday was to be honest for yeah. like twelve months. You know, I'd still be partying somewhere, doing something. Yeah. Um, so I had to really find my feet again with the basics. You know, yeah, just the routine and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, which yeah. was really strange to me, and I started booking in things and making commitments on Sunday mornings and that like breakfasts or playing golf with mates and yeah. doing stuff where I had to be accountable to be there to yeah. do, uh, which kept me kept me going yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good good plan if anyone is finding that alone time isn't their best friend 
mate, get busy, get busy, make yeah. plans. Um, obviously, so you push your friends and family away, then the attempt happens. Yeah. I mean, was it easy for you then to kind of welcome in the support? Because obviously, that friends and family would have wanted yeah. to be there. Was it easy to welcome that back in, or were you kind of still like, nah, fuck off, leave me alone? No, I had to. <laughs> Basically, I was at a point where, um, so after the attempt, when I was on the bathroom floor, my dad had called me. I was on the phone to him. Uh, a good friend of mine come and pick me up because my mum had rang her took me to her place and then mum and dad met me at her place that morning and I, I remember feeling just shame embarrassment yeah. I couldn't look at my mum and dad in the eye and then I went home and I slept for like three days because I was coming down and I just I was so exhausted Yeah. and then when I woke up I remember just having this kind of thing over me saying alright you can't hide this shit anymore you've basically hit rock bottom you know yeah. you've got to accept the help now so uh, I'm very fortunate, man. They've got a great family. Yeah. Mum um, and dad have always been there. Got two older brothers who are great people, um, and, and they were there to catch me. So yeah, yeah. I was extremely fortunate. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And when so when you you went home, you had that three days sleep. Did you go back to yours, or did you go to your parents? Went to the farm. Yeah. Yeah. So went to the farm and that, and then straight after that, what I did was, um, I said to my mum, I said I want to go and speak to a lady named Dr. Maddie Clements, and yeah. she was my psychologist during my footy career. She worked at the AFLPA. Yeah. And I said, she's the only one that I want to go and talk to um, because she knew my backstory. Yeah. So mum drove me into Richmond here at her office and I went in there and, and sat down and, and I just broke down, mate, for like two hours and just told her everything. And I couldn't hide anymore. I couldn't lie anymore. Yeah. I had to just spill it all. And then I remember this other moment which really made me motivated to get change uh, was uh, Maddie called my mum and put on a loudspeaker and said, look, you know, we're going to put Jake into a program, but before we do that, um, we're going to send him home for a couple of days to the farm. You know, she said, my mom, I just need to make sure there's no guns that Jake can get access to so he can't shoot himself. Because wow. I was clearly still yeah. coming down and struggling with the terms of what I tried to do. So I could hear my mum through the phone, like the hesitation and the, the real scarcity in mum. Yeah. And that's, it just clicked with me. I'm like, fuck, what are you doing, man? Like, you're hurting people around you. That was the first time. I could see outside myself yeah. and see the people what's around, going me, around, what's yeah. around me. Uh, and that was enough for me just to go, right yeah, get change, mate, make change, do it. Yeah. 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 Do you think, so obviously the AFLPA, it's good that, that that's there. But do you think maybe, we spoke a bit before about the clubs maybe need to do while we pass players. Do, yeah. you, do you now look back and think, you know, you're in this system where you are kind of bubbled away and you are under pressure cooker yeah. and you went out and the system kind of goes, okay, well, See you later. yeah, you're not really our issue anymore. There's always, there is support networks, but is there enough? Um, look, in terms of when we were playing, there was nothing. Um, and I think, unfortunately, what the reality is that people like myself and I guess even the Wayne Schwartz of the world, Nathan yeah. Thompson's of the world, more recently Boydie and stuff like that, well, we're, and Travis Clover, well, we're the ones that have to probably go through it in order for them to say, hey, you need to change this. You, you need yeah. to change this because it's not working. So there are better things that are in place now, but I still think in terms of a past player, um, there are better ways that you can engage. I was with John from Brown the other day, uh, and even he said he, he doesn't have anything to do with the PA or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. And that's someone who's an absolute legend. That that's game. a three-time premiership player. Yeah, time. you know what I mean? Walking. So there are, I think there are ways, but it's a two-way street. Like, yeah. I, I could have reached out and I'm sure they would have provided yeah. help um, but it's a, it's a really difficult one because when players leave the game not on your terms you kind of don't want 
anything to do with anyone in the industry anyway. Yeah, it's so, a bit of a... You know what I mean? So yeah, they, if they reached out anyway, I would have been like, well, up yours and get stuck. And it's about that being ready for help as well. I guess. Correct, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but there is, there is some better things in place now. They do, the AFLPA do a, a far better outduction program. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think I think they're drafted too young, man. I, I was drafted at 17. Yeah. Know? And the American system is perfect. Yeah, we should, college and should go through college 21 yeah, yeah. draft day should be it's an interesting discussion that one of itself because I think you look at we've looked at players that have come in the last two years Sam Welsh and Matt yep. Rao yep. and people go no they're ready but I think it's the difference between physically yeah they're right they're ready yep. but, and mentally they look like they look like they've got everything yep. switched on and yep. look like quite well yep. well with after boys but not everyone no, is yeah. like that well, they're not, and they're both private school boys. Let's be honest. Yeah, you know, so they've got a good education. Different, completely different system. It's a different thing, and and they're drafted number one. So I mean, they're they've guaran- been prepared for it yeah. for a long time. Yeah, they're guaranteed to get hundred games under their belt. I think where the, the where the gap is is that kind of say let's say five to thirty game player who gives just as much work to if any, not probably to, more more because you're an insurance player, so you're yeah. trying to impress the whole time. Um, and then yeah you get spat out within the, I think the average now is just over four years of an AFL player yeah. so it's not the 10 year best and fairest no. premiership and that's not playing every game like if you played every game that four years you play 80 that's right but not many are no, let me do that because so, you're playing 80 games in four years you're probably still on the list yeah, yeah that's right exactly you're still going <laughs> you're signing another contract yeah. you know what I mean so that's I think people get caught up in that kind of oh, AFL play you got everything what are you sucking about well not not really. When I was playing, I was on fifty grand, fifty five grand a year. Yeah, that's on that's on. Yeah, I worked retail last year and made thirty five. Yeah, like that can't that can't be. But the rookies and that were on that too. Yeah, you know? it's so crazy. It, it's very different times. I understand that, but um, it's not. It's never the top ten pick. It's more the the kid at the end of the table yeah. who's trying just as hard. The one that is like on the way out, it's not going to have the opportunity yeah. to do the media or the yep, all that stuff. Work as a coach, person. correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that. So yeah, but look. It's the old age saying, you know, we always encourage footballers to go do something outside of the yeah. game and stuff like that. But again, for me, I was so concerned about getting another contract and training as hard as I could. Yeah. Exhaustingly, mate, I didn't have time. You don't, And you don't want to seem distracted either. No, at all, you know. Yeah. So I was more worried about playing a game of football than I was yeah. in my career at that time outside yeah. of footy. Yeah. And I think that's something that I think if more people open their eyes a little bit to the difference between... And our Sam Walsh and Matt Rao and yeah. I can't even know who was drafted pick 30 last yeah. year like yeah. if we concentrate on that you know yeah it's yeah. It, it, they go in with it a bit easier mm-hmm. and then they come out with it a bit easier as well yeah. so I think it's important that we you know people make sure they recognise what it's, everyone everyone's journey and battle and yeah, way well, it's different it is mate it, we just, we, we, there's a balance there somewhere um, that the community doesn't understand that it's not what we see on yeah. TV it's there's a, there's a thing behind it I talk to a lot of blokes all the time about so when I play with like the Adam Hartlets of the world and blokes yeah. like that who are just unfortunate because of injury and yeah. Adam Bentix and Luke Blackwells and blokes like that who could have played a lot of footy. Yeah. Um, we talk about this period kind of from a, like a Thursday to like a, a following Tuesday like away from the club yeah. and the anxiety and the stress that you go through yeah. back, back home. Like, am I getting a game and get picked? Like, well, we found out we'll playing back then on the footy show you know you watch yeah, the footy show and it would come up so um, it's very different now I remember I remember facing that at local footy I remember when I first made, like, started playing senior footy yeah. I was playing on the toes and thought I was playing good footy would train my ass and one of my best mates um, 
Travis Clark's cousin, he'll hate me mentioning him. Yeah. <laughs> just a natural gifted freak. Wouldn't yeah. train, he'd just sit at the table because he knew full well. He doesn't do anything, he's playing, he's the team's go to. Yeah. Same yeah. age as me. Yeah. I would go to training Tuesday, bust my ass. I'd be in the gym with him on a Tuesday morning, like Tuesday after before training. I'd train Thursday, absolutely go. Like I'd go bananas. Yeah. Getting a dinner and I just I would hate sitting at you dinner. Get sick, yeah, or something. I'll just like please just say my name. Yeah. And because I did the twos first, so I'd just sit there and like please don't say my name, <laughs> please don't say my name. And then they like full forward, Jaden no. Uh, yeah. And I'd oh yeah. And I'd go home and I'd be livid. Yeah. And I'd text the group message, oh, this is bullshit, <laughs> like what more do I have to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's local footy, like. It is, man, and it i there was a long time where I felt, as you said, identify identify as like that I was at uni, but I was like, no, I play footy. Yep. what I've done since I was nine years old yep. I yep. play footy yep. and it was I was probably I left Oakley at that point and I went to the club at Caulfield and first time I went oh, I'm not really a footy player yeah. <laughs> I've got so, I, I play local footy that's not me that's yep. just what I do three times a week yep. Yep. but yeah I can only imagine if I was doing that at local footy what yep. people it's at like senior level. at elite level yeah. and you said like people think you've got it all yeah. but then you lose it all yeah. It's a lot different to losing, like not getting picked in a local side. I'm still hanging with the boys at five o'clock. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But you have it all and it's gone and yeah. you don't get to play footy with those yeah, boys man. And, and you've got an identity away from that. You've got a job, you've got a career, you've probably got a great relationship where most footballers don't have that when they yeah. leave the game. You know, like the income stops, you know, basically straight away. Yeah. Um, and that lifestyle, I guess, that you're used to. And that, it's more the, the routine and structure that becomes the biggest yeah. issue because... We're told where to be, what to do, how to think, what to eat, what not to eat. And that is basically gone overnight. From when you're a child, really. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, um, yeah, that's a lot of players leave the game and talk more about that structure, routine. That's why we jump to things like gambling, drinking, yeah. partying, because it, that becomes kind of that routine. Yeah. And that's so, yeah. It's and it's a, that high as well, like chasing yeah. that adrenaline that you get from players in front of 80K. Yeah, yeah. And then you go play Port Melbourne and you might get. Five thousand, yeah. six. You got to fill in the gaps yeah, somehow. That's probably a final too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, uh, the, yeah, the good, the borough they faithful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can't help but notice in the window there's a Murrumbina. There is jersey. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not really happy with it. Do you want to <laughs> explain why it's hanging up there? And- I can, I can. So that uh, that's an indigenous. Uh, for those that are listening, we've got a couple of uh, theme Guernseys in the office here for our charity. Uh, so the Murrumbina one, so the, we've got an Indigenous lady who is working with us in facilitation, uh, and she designed the jumper. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, so she us one of the yeah. so I had nothing to do with yeah. it. It was sort of the first thing I saw as a Caulfield guy, it's very yeah. much arc <laughs> I was looking at it, I thought, that can't be. It's got um, Sean Burgoyne's signature on the back too. So. Okay, yeah, he's, he is a local around there. Yeah, he is. Burks. Yeah, I think he's actually from there. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple of jumpers up there. We've got a couple of our charity game ones over in Perth. and We'll take a photo and then we'll chuck them up in the show notes yeah. as well so everyone can have a look. And we'll blur out the moment. <laughs> no you don't want to wear it? Oh, show, no, no, I don't think I could. No. I wouldn't be welcome back. <laughs> um, yeah, so not, not much longer to go, guys. And we'll be wrapping up with this one. Yep. So about what, the way you deal with things now, because obviously depression doesn't end. It no. just It's something you, you have for life. Yeah. How do you recognise now when maybe things are getting away from you a bit? Yeah, it's a good question. And one thing I try and encourage people to, to think about when it comes to me um, is not painting me in a perfect light. Um, like that you're fixed. Yeah, I'm fixed and fine because I'm yeah. not. Yeah, I still struggle, mate, most days. Um, but for me, it's probably, I, I feel it every day. It's not about something's happening or coming for me. I can, most days, it's kind of about staying in check. 
Um, and just simple things, man, like a routine's really important to me as much as I can stick to it. Um, but fitness is, is big. So yep. I still work out every day, if not every every second day. Uh, diet as well, looking after that, eating food, good food most of the time. Um, I tend to stay away from a lot of processed stuff, uh, which I think has helped my, my mind. Yep. Um, and yeah, just hanging around good people. I'm just fortunate enough to have some really good friends. Um, over the years, it's got smaller and smaller, which has helped a lot. Um, and hanging around people who like to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and doing the right thing most of the time. Yeah. Um, you said before, so your addiction wasn't to alcohol. Yeah. Do you still have a drink because yeah, it I wasn't do. to alcohol, the addiction? So it generally wasn't the booze. No, mate, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. So when I, went, I spent time in a, a, a center in Daniel, St. John of God, yep. and working with my psychiatrist there, um, I thought I had a, a substance problem. Well, I did have a problem. I, I thought maybe I had an addiction to that. But he told me pretty quickly, he's like, mate, that's not the problem. We're here to figure out why you feel like you need to do that. Yeah. You know, it's part of your lifestyle. And then once he kind of broke it down, I was like, oh, that actually makes sense to me. Yeah. And one of my goals was that to um, one day to be able to kind of, I didn't drink for 12 months um, during it. So um, I, I wanted to get back and have a beer again. And I do, I like to go out, I like to party yeah. still. And um, But I do it obviously within. Yeah, reason. reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like I used to yeah. <laughs> anymore. Um, but yeah, and hanging around just the right people. Yeah, yeah I think makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, and so when when you do feel things sliding out and they're getting away, I mean, what are, what are some techniques that you may practice to bring things back and yeah. stay present? Yeah, yeah, again, it's sticking to that routine. Um, yeah. and then when I'm feeling things get overwhelmed, like work's probably the biggest stressor for me. Yeah. Um, constantly on top of that, so dedicating time to yourself and, and, and delivering on that yeah. uh, again the fitness stuff doing it every every week but one of the things that I do in terms of when I feel kind of things getting out of control is uh, I'm, I've got a house down Ocean Grove uh, as well so mate I, I just get away Yeah, I, I just go by myself just sit down there for the weekend I'm fortunate to obviously have that yeah does. but that's my little kind of haven where I can get away from the work stuff and just have a bit of a break and you uh, find time alone okay, but yeah. any thoughts? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I never really used to enjoy it as much, but yeah. I can be by myself, and, yeah. and that's fine. Um, so, yeah, and mate, music for me as well is probably yeah. my biggest thing that I use on a daily. Yeah. That's that kind of reach go to. You know, I'm feeling like shit. I need, I need you know, to kind of recharge a little bit here. Yeah. So I'll listen to music, I'll play guitar, I'll. Whatever it is, mate. I'll, I'll is there any it. music in particular? That... Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a hardcore metal. Fan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm more of bands like Amity Affliction, Parkway Drive. You know, more like you know, like Slipknot or something like that. You so might recognize. I worked with a girl uh, when I was at retail. Yeah. And she loved that kind of stuff. Does I, she, I, I can't. can't get into it? I can't have it. She put it on her Screaming. phone constantly. <laughs> and oh, for two years, she spoke about oh, about a year and a half. She spoke about these bands. Yeah. And I think the only one I can name, Hellions. Hellions, yeah. Yeah, that's the only one I know because yeah, you just yeah. wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> so, Jesse, if you do listen to this, that's you. No, good, good, good on you, Jesse. Oh, yeah. I, I think people listen to metalcore, whatever you want to call it, punk core, whatever. Um, it, it's never, it's screaming, yeah, so you can't hear what they're saying most yeah. of the time. But the reason I love it a lot, I'm, I'm fortunate to have good friends who in the bands, but the reason I'm friends with them, it's funny because. When I came out the back end of that, if you want to call it rehab, um, just because I was so open and raw about my journey, I started attracting people that have been through similar things. Yeah. And a lot of the bands I listen to, a lot of them write music based around addiction, mental health, yeah. suicide, stuff like that. 
Um, so yeah, I was just fortunate enough to hang around a lot of them and got to know them as people. And then you know, if you if you listen to if you read the lyrics, um, it'll change your perception on the music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, because um, I yeah, I'm not a big music buff and I won't pronounce it, <laughs> but when you hear that five days a week, it's full on, eh? Because everyone has headphones on, I can hear it coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to look over and I'm like. I can't think that's fine. No, the, the, the louder the better for me. Yeah. It sounds like she's the same. Once, I think so, yeah. Well, once you're caught up in it, it's really hard to kind of listen to any other music. Yeah, she knows yeah. nothing about like hit. Because like my mates roast me, I'm just a top 40. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just <laughs> real basic stuff. That's all right. And she knows nothing. Like, yeah. like the weekend will come on and she yeah. would just have no idea. I'd be the same, man. And it's yeah. like, how, do you, how can you not just... No, like just yeah. common knowledge, but yeah, yeah I think I, it's a I, little I like, community. I like rap music, like R and B stuff and that. Um, yeah, but more kind of your local stuff, yeah, yeah. rather than not the big names or anything like that. I wouldn't know who they are. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough. I think yeah, it's a little community that it is my heavy yeah. stuff. It really is. But in terms of like what, back to your question around what I jump to and that, like that music's that one. Yeah. Um, one thing I do as well, I play golf. I'm getting back, oh. right back into my golf a lot more. Do you have a handicap? Or? Yeah, well, I got down to about 11 before well, before COVID hit, and now it's probably gone out, probably 17, 18 or whatever. But trying to play once a week again at the moment. Yeah. Because uh, I play with my best mate. Yeah, lovely. And it's like free cancelling, mate. Like, my head. We oh. bitch and moan about everything. I'm a huge, huge golfer. Yeah. I, I don't have a handicap, but I reckon if I did, I'd be hitting off about 20 odd. Yeah. But I hit yeah. I hit a, my best score last week. Yeah. Four. Good well, feeling, isn't it? I was flying. It keeps you coming back. I showed, I showed my scorecard around. I was going to come on. Look at this. How good is this? And yeah. I booked around yeah. for Friday with a mate. Yeah. And he said, oh, hey, man, mate. Fine. Look out. <laughs> Look out. That's it. But it's important for people to go like free cancelling, I call it, is things like that. You know, golf, yeah. um, going out for dinner or whatever. Um, you know, driving in the car is a good one too because bikes' eyes are forward. Yeah, you know, you're, so you're, you're present in yeah, there. Yeah, like I say, if you're concerned about a mate, just pick him up and go away for the weekend. Go camp and get somewhere out of town. Just take him driving, whatever it might be, and just you know, start talking about life and shit and generally yeah. what will happen. Is it'll, it'll go where it needs to go. It'll go where it needs to go, yeah. I find, I find with golf, it's a great one for that present mindfulness because like, you've got to be every... You only yeah. get 30 Switched seconds on. to the ball before, yep. in your own world. Yep. And yeah. You switched on, you do that for four hours with a few mates, and all of a sudden, life's yeah. good again. Like, That's it, mate. A couple of beers, you know, get around the course. And yeah. There's nothing more enjoyable than I find. No. And just a declutter of life. Like, yeah. And my mates, as you, as we all are, there's no judgment. So I can talk about no. anything and everything. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, man, like, we're here for you. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, isn't it? Well, that, that's all we have for okay. you it's been an absolute pleasure well, and we can't thank you enough for coming on cheers and obviously we can't say why but Jack has a very busy few weeks yeah. coming up so best of luck thanks for that yeah. appreciate and enjoy. it yeah good man cheers Thank you so much for listening, guys. And just a reminder, if you or anyone you know and love is struggling, you can always contact Lifeline for support. 